My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I don't know if you noticed it. I, I don't know if you did, but the first two songs we sang, there was something I thought really interesting. Earlier in the week, I was just kind of going through the service and I thought about these two songs and I looked them over and I thought, now this is really interesting because in some ways it captures the dynamic of the whole Tabernacle series we've been talking about, right? We opened up with Open Up the Heavens, right? Great song of praise. Open up the heavens. We sing this. Open up the heavens. We want to see you, God. We want to see you. And we sing, show us your glory. Show us, show us your glory. And then show us, show us your power. God, we want to see you. We want to have you active in our lives. We want to be with you. And then the next song was holy, holy, holy. And the second stanza of holy, holy, holy says, though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. <laughs> and I kind of thought a little bit of, well, which is it? <laughs> Can we see God or can't we see God? And that's, in a sense, like what I say the tabernacle is all about. On the one hand, we sing, open up the heavens. On the other hand, we say, God, we can't look at you because of our sin, your holiness. We can't see you. You are, but we want to see you, God. We want to be close to you, God. And that's the dynamic, as we said, that's in the tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle was all about. On the one hand, we said, it's God's, God's home in the midst of his people. God, we want to see you. They saw his glory. They, they saw his power, that pillar of fire coming up from that tabernacle. On the other hand, it was also surrounded by a white fence, and that white fence says, no sin allowed. Though the eye of sinful man, his glory may not see. So which is it? We've said that kind of question is what's been driving this series, right? How can a holy God live with his unholy people? How does a holy God make his home in the midst of unholy people? How can we, who are sinners, how can we be in God's presence? How can we have the, the audacity to say, God, show us your glory? <laughs> when anybody who saw his glory in the Old Testament, anybody who saw his glory was just wiped out. How can a holy God live with his unholy people? Today we come to the really key part of the tabernacle. We come to the answer to that, ultimate answer to that question, though the first answer we get is temporary. But today we look at the Ark of the Covenant, and there we see the answer to the solution to how a holy God can live with his unholy people. But it was only a temporary solution, so we got to, at the end, recognize that it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. So we're going to take a look at the Ark of the Covenant this morning, and this is one of those things that our culture has a sense of, at least, some sense of, right? I mean, people talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Some of us have maybe seen Indiana Jones, right? There it is. The, the search for the Ark, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, because the bad guys, the Nazis, they wanted it. And in some ways, again, they, the, what, they were singing the song, show us, God, show us your power. They, in, in a sense, the movie got it kind of right about the Ark, because there was this sense that if you ever has the ark, that's God's place of power. That's God's place of glory. But do you remember what happened when they opened the ark? Do you remember Indiana and Miriam, I think, were tied to a pole. And before they open it, Indy says, turn your eyes away. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Turn away. Because the eyes of sinful man is glory. We might not see. And everybody else, well, they had a bad day for their faces and everything. So I, I, there's that sense that the ark, that God's presence is both glory and death because of our sinful eyes, because of our sinful lives. 
So let's think about the Ark of the Covenant. It was located in the most holy place. It was the furthest in. We've been working our way closer and closer to it. We started outside of the, of the tabernacle, the, the, that outer core, that outer fence, and we've worked our way into it. We've gone into the holy place, and this morning we go into the most holy place. Exodus 25, starting at verse 10. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high, all right? And so it was basically a box. The ark had two pieces to it. The bottom part was just this, this box, and it was 45 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. A little under four feet by a little over two feet by a little over two feet, all right? And, and so that's the size of it. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a molding of gold and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings of, uh, for it and fasten them to its feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. Uh, real quick, just to, to, there the rings are, but it says feet. What in the world are we talking about here? The word in the Hebrew can either be translated feet or corners, okay? Some people translate it feet, the NIV does, and, and when you see an ark, their pictures would look more like this. They have those feet on the bottom. Um, I, I, I think it was corners, and so we're going to go with an ark that looks more like this. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry it. We've seen this kind of a setup before, if you've been with us at all, right? With the, the table of showbread, they had rings and poles. And, and with the altar of incense, they had rings and poles to carry that, uh, the bronze altar. And, 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 and so they had this, we've seen this before, but th this is different. The ark is a step higher in, in power and holiness, in, in, in reflecting God's glory. In this case, the poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Again, we saw it this summer when Uzzah, we looked at the story when David tried to move the ark and Uzzah touched it and he died. They, they didn't want to have to mess around with that. When they moved, the poles were already there. They never removed those poles. That was the bottom part. That's half the ark, right? It's just this box. And, and, and it's not necessarily that special at this point. We have to start to ask some other questions. First of all, what was in the ark, okay? What was in the ark? The book of Hebrews says that there were three things in the ark, okay? But two of them were added later. The book of Exodus only tells us about one thing. Two things were added later, and they're both really interesting. And we've touched on, on one of them, and uh, both of them recently. But one of them was Aaron's rod that budded. You might remember the story. We told it a couple of weeks ago that there were those who were uh, rebelling against Moses and Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. He was Moses' brother. Aaron was the high priest. And, and they said, well, we can do this. We don't need you. And uh, God said to Moses, get everybody's authority staff, their rod, put it in the tabernacle, and then the next morning you'll know who I have chosen. And it was Aaron's rod that had budded, and it produced actually almonds overnight, okay? And it, it did all of that. And, and so a little picture of Jesus, <laughs> dead wood that came to life and gave new life to others. And then the other thing, and there was a jar of manna. A jar of manna, Hebrews says, was there in that bread of life, Jesus being the bread of life. But the only thing we read about in Exodus is, is this, Exodus 25, verse 16. This is the only thing that, that we know was initially in the ark. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Moses came down the mountain from Mount Sinai with two tablets, the Ten Commandments, plus some other stuff, but Ten Commandments. 
In order to understand what these tablets of the covenant law are, we have to kind of go back a little bit to the story. And this is what that song that we sang about God being faithful is about. They, they were slaves in Egypt, all right? The people of God were slaves in Egypt. They were going to take, be taken to the promised land. God rescues them out of Egypt, and, and, and that's where the water goes back and the mountains flee. And then he brings his people down to Mount Sinai. We talked about this eight weeks ago. I'm sure you all remember it perfectly. But God brings his people down to Mount Sinai, and what they do there as they gather together, and God is on the mountain, and it's lightning and thunder and all this uh, scary stuff and smoke coming down. God is there in all of his glory and all of his power, and the people can't see it because they are sinful, right? And, they, they, and they're there. But what's happening here? is in a sense, God and his people are getting married. They're making a covenant. They're, 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 they're establishing how they would treat each other. And that's what's written on that covenant, those, those tablets of the covenant. It was, a, it was a list of what God expected from the people and of what they had committed to you. They outlined what the people were supposed to do. And, and in chapter 24, after hearing this, after hearing the book of the law, the people all say together, we will do what God has said we will obey the Lord, okay? And so they have made this commitment. They have made that. But it also included the, the first part of the Ten Commandments and commitments that God would make to the people. And, and it outlined what God would do, okay? And, and, and so these tablets, what they were is, is like a marriage license or a, a covenant agreement of some sort, but it, def, it defined how we were going to live together with God. And in other nations in that part of the world uh, from that time, there were treaties made between gods and people, and they would take them and put them in the temple, and they would have them just like this in a, in a box in the temple. And so that's what's going there. So put them in the, uh, the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you, put them into the ark, all right? And they slid them down into there. And, and in a sense, this is possible, a possibility of life, okay? This is a possibility of life. Because if the people will obey God... If the people will obey this, if they can live out those Ten Commandments, if they can live out that agreement, God will be able to live with them, and God will bless them. God will be able to do that. But of course they couldn't, right? We'll come back to that. But they kept sinning, just like you, just like me. They kept failing. And so we need the other part of the ark. And the other part of the ark is the most important part of the ark. It's the most powerful part of the ark, all right? Exodus 25, verse 17. Make an atonement cover. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. All right. So this is no acacia wood. This is not gold overlaid. This is a slab of absolutely pure gold. Okay. Absolutely perfect gold. 45 inches by 27 inches. We're not told how thick it was. And make two cherubim on top of this part of it. Make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub, that's the singular of cherubim, make one cherub on one end and, and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. Okay, so we've got these two cherubim, these two angels of God that are there at each end of this slab of gold. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other looking toward its cover. So they have their, we, we don't know exactly what it looked like. They have their, their wings over the, covering over that, uh, the, the cover, the table itself, or the top of the ark itself. And, the, and they're looking down, okay? And so they have their wings. Some people show it like this. And uh, some people have it with their wings a little higher up. We don't know. It might have been something like that. 
I, I like the one that we're going to use is there in the middle. And part of the reason I, th I think this one is a bit more accurate is because uh, cherubim, quite often when they're described in that part of the world, uh, cherubim are not just people with wings, like angels like that. Cherubim have the body of lions. Cherubim often have the body of lions. You can see the one in the middle there has the body of a lion, right? And so those two there... Are, are, are facing each other and their wings are coming out and they're covering the, the center of, the, of the, the top of that uh, ark cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tables of the covenant law, the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. All right, so we've already got the tablets in there and we put the cover on top. As I said, this cover is, in my view, the essential thing for us to see this morning. This cover is what saved their lives. This cover is what covered their sins. So let's talk a little bit about this cover. This is the centerpiece. There are two things we need to know about this cover. It served two functions. First of all, it served as God's throne or his footstool. The Bible calls it both. It's God's throne. It's God's footstool. The, the difference would be that on the one hand, the Bible says that when God is in heaven and, and everything in the tabernacle, again, is a copy of what's really in heaven. And so when God is in heaven, he sits between enthroned between the cherubim. Okay. And so it, on the one hand, it's a picture of God being up there and, and, and the earth is his footstool, specifically the ark. The Bible says the ark is God's footstool. And so on the one hand, God sits in heaven and the, this is his footstool. On the other hand, this is his throne on earth. And God is there between those two things. All right. It was no matter what the place of his presence, because it's the place where God would meet with his people <coughs> there above the cover. <coughs> Excuse me. They're above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law. I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So that's the place. That's the place where God's presence was. This is where Raiders got it wrong because <laughs> it wasn't opening the cover that made. Uh, no, God's presence was always on top of it. God's presence was always between the cherubim. God's presence was always there. Psalm 99 talks about this. It writes, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Verse 5, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. And so there is God, either his throne or his footstool, but God was in this place. God was on top of this cover. God was over this. That's the first thing it was. It was the place of God's presence. The second thing, is what makes all the difference. It was called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. Verse 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold. And that is where there was mercy and that's where our sins were covered up. You see, if we put this all together, what we've got is, is the atonement cover on top of the ark. And if we open up the ark again, you can see what's inside, right? Our covenant agreement, the promises we have made to God. God, this is what we will do. God, this is how we will live. This is how we will be your people. We will do all that you tell us to do. The fact is they didn't, and all God saw when he looked down was sin. When, when God looked from his place down onto the covenant agreement, he saw how we had broken it over and over and over again. We have broken the covenant, and God sees our sin, and God sees our brokenness. And God has every right to just leave his people. God has every right at this point just to say, I'm done. 
I've looked down and I've, you made your promises and I offered you life and you failed. And God sees that sin. But God made a way. It's interesting. God made a way. And you want to talk about how merciful God is. It's interesting to recognize that while Moses is up getting these instructions, all right, while Moses is up in heaven talking to, or on the mountain rather, talking to God, the people are building a golden calf. They're breaking commandment number one. You've broken commandments today already. I guarantee it. You have not loved the way you should have loved. You have not been who you should have been. We just, we do it. And so God has to come with a way that he can be with us, that we can be in his presence. Because we need his power, we need his glory, we need his strength, and we need his grace. And so once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, we've talked about him for a couple of weeks, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go and make a sacrifice, make several of them, I'm not going to go through all of them, but he would gather up the blood that sacrifice. He would go and wash again at the bronze basin that we talked about and then head over to the tabernacle itself. Now I want you to notice something. You might not have picked it up, but it's pretty small. But he, he picks something up before he goes into the tabernacle on this day. Others might have done it on different days as well, but he picks it up for sure on this day. It's a censer. Okay, it's, a, it's, it's basically to burn incense. And it's primarily really today to pr produce smoke for him, okay? Because he goes into the most, or to the holy place and he walks up to the curtain of the most holy place. And, and he's only allowed to go in here, only the high priest, only once a year. And I would imagine that this was a really big day, right? And, and, and he knows the first thing he has to do is he starts to rev up that sensor. And he, I don't know what you do if you start swinging it more or whatever, but I imagine he starts to do that. So the smoke starts to pour out. So the smoke starts to go into the holy of holies, to most holy place, and it continues to spread out all over. And it's there, and, and he starts to get hidden in it. And when there's enough smoke, then he dares to open up the curtain and go in. Because the eyes of sinful man, your glory may not see, right? I mean, it's got to be smoky. It's got to be hidden somewhat. He's there in God's presence, but the smoke is there to keep him, his eyes from being burned out. And so he has made sure he knows how to work that sensor. And the smoke is all there. And as he goes in and he approaches the altar, he takes that blood and he starts to sprinkle it on that cover. And he puts more and more on it. And this is, this is the miracle of God's grace, okay? This is what the tabernacle was all about. It was this moment that allowed God to live here. Because now when God looks down, he does not see sin, but he sees blood. He doesn't see our sin, even though it's there. But it's covered in the blood, all right? It is covered in the blood of the lamb, covered in the blood of the goat. And then his people can know that they are forgiven. And without that atonement cover, without that blood, without that sacrifice, without that gift the people would have been dead. The people would have been wiped out and God would have left them or destroyed them. And so it's the blood. It's the blood that covers up all of their sins. And the sins of the people were covered and, and they could celebrate and they could rejoice and they could praise God because they could live in God's presence until next year when the priest had to kill another goat and another bull and he had to come back with more blood to cover up the sin. 
And the year after that, when the priest had to go and kill another bull and another goat and another lamb and all the animals that he had to kill to cover up that year's sin. And the year after that, and we could go on for a really long time. Because you see, again, the tabernacle is a copy. The ark is a copy of what's going on in heaven. And it's in heaven what matters. And this is just a temporary deal. The blood on the ark, I mean, this golden cover was there for one primary reason. Well, two, again, like I said, it's God's throne. But for us, it's a place where blood gets splattered. And it covers up our sin. And we're forgiven. Until Jesus comes. And Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he comes and he does it differently. Hebrews 9, verse 12 starts to tell us about this. This is an amazing verse. It says, Jesus, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. It wasn't a high priest who was at the bronze altar. It was Jesus, the true high priest, who was on a cross. And he gathered not the blood of the goats, but he gathered his own blood. And he brought it. He brought it into the most holy place, but not into the one in the tabernacle and not in the one in the temple. Hebrews says he brought it into the one in heaven. I, I, I imagine, and I think this really happened. I think Jesus really showed up in heaven with blood in a bowl, okay? I think he was standing there and he entered the most holy place with his own blood in a bowl. And as he poured that out on the altar in heaven, as he poured that out, it covered up our sins. And he didn't have to do it again. It was obtaining eternal redemption, the author of Hebrews says, because it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of the perfect sacrifice. And it's the blood of the one who obeyed all of those commandments. It's the blood of the one who fulfilled what we could not. He lived out those commandments and then he gave his life and he spread that blood. And the sins of his people were covered forever. That's you and that's me. Friends, this is our only hope, okay? I, I, I just don't know. This is as big as it gets. It's the blood of Jesus that he offered in heaven that covers up our sins, that washes them away. And now you and I can come into God's presence we sing, show us your glory. We go back to the beginning here. We sing, show us your glory, God. Show us your glory. And the fact is, if we're honest, every one of us has to turn around and say, but God, we can't see it. It's why we confess our sins, because the fact of the matter is, if you come into this place, if you come into God's presence on your own merit, say, God, I'm ready. I want to see your, you're dead. We can't see his glory. But God calls out from his presence, I have made a way. And it's the cross and the cup. And again, I think the heart of what God says with the tabernacle and the heart of what he says with the cross and the heart of what he says to each one of you this morning and to me this morning, come home. It's okay. You can come home. Your sins have been forgiven. They've been taken away. You don't have to live with them anymore. You don't have to carry them anymore. They have been covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the blood of Christ, we can come into God's presence. And that's why we come to the table to eat the bread. 
the bread of life that is the body of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, and to drink the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. And we say, in this is a forgiveness of our sins. In this is the washing away. And we say, Jesus, thank you. Praise the Lord. And I, I, I just, it's, it's overwhelming. Friends, God wants to just pull you onto his lap. God wants to give you strength. God wants to give you courage. God wants to hold you. And he's offered his son. The answer to the question, how can a holy God live with his unholy people, is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if we are in Christ, we can sing. And we can know it's going to be okay. I, I don't know if we understand that freedom. I'm trying more and more to live in it. I'm trying more and more to say, you know what? I don't care what happens to me today, I'm forgiven. I'm trying more and more to say, I don't care what happens to me today, I'm loved. I am accepted. I am in God's presence. And I know one day I will be made completely new. Friends, Jesus died for you. Come and taste his goodness. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence because you are holy and you are life and you are joy. But we also recognize we come into your presence only because of Jesus. Father, if everybody here could see the reality of my heart, they'd see the reality of my sin, the horrible things I've thought and said in privacy, the things that I've tried to ignore, but you know them and I know them. So Father, help me just to let them go right now. And I pray that for every person here. There are some who are just hearing the voice of the evil one saying, you're guilty, that blood doesn't cover your sin. May today, right now, in this moment, every one of us experience the fullness of grace and knowing that our sins are covered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.